you from 1 Peter 4, uh, just verse 7. So I'll give you a second to turn there. It'll be 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The Word of God says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to grow in sober-mindedness and self-control, that by your Spirit, Lord, you would empower us and sanctify us to look more like Christ each and every day. As we hear your word preached this morning, Father, would you convict our hearts and help us to grow in obedience to your word. In Christ's name I pray. And 
as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, based on this, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So again, here you are, a, 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 a confessional Christian, receiving the text of Holy Scripture as fully integral. All that is necessary for your life and godliness. Peter is going to, as we move forward, um, as you saw at the end of verse 7, he's going to apply a force of ethics to your life in light of the end of all things being at hand. So, again, how does that sense of the eminency of all things push my life forward in ethics in a meaningful way? John felt it could. Again, children, be mindful. It is the last hour. Then you're asking yourself in the 21st century, how long is this hour? And similarly, Paul, throughout his epistles, calls his own time in ministry, quote, the last days. So does James, as well as Jude, refer to their time in life as, quote, the last days. about the event, he says, but this, this moment in 
all those others by the possibility. Scripture is this, Peter says, what you're seeing in Acts 2 is what Joel prophesied. You and I, as a reader of that, can't believe that. But it is. Peter says, at last, it's a close and very last description of what is happening here. cite to you as we begin, he says this in the very first chapter. Long ago, this is Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now listen to this quote. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the when he appointed question for us is for, again, this week and next week. I just, I could have done it in one, you know what I mean? I would choose three and over one. Just for that reason. I think I could get it done in two because I would have taken here far too long if I just kept it in one. So I just did it in two. The question for us this morning, I want to explore for a couple of moments different two angles that simply this. What is next? And so I, I want you to ask this for you five examples in the New Testament by way of introduction. 
just to lay the groundwork for your sense in the New Testament documents that the writers of the first century indeed felt sure and were convinced they lived in the last days. So that you don't doubt the integrity of the text, it is upon you in some measure to put together the thought of the last days in the New Testament because you choose to understand what he says to you in the 21st century on this day. The end of all things is at hand. Or we live in the last days. You don't just kind of be like, ah, oh, that's probably true. I'm just moving on. You receive that immediately. Have you asked yourself, where is it going to be found? I'll give you this slide. In the beginning, that is the beginning of the hope filled conclusion. That is, the beginning of the end to sin, the beginning of the end of sin's destruction and devastating consequences, was the birth of Jesus Christ. Again, the beginning of the hope-filled conclusion to sin and its devastating consequences is the birth of Jesus Christ. Let me show you how. If you have your text of Scripture, Note with me and track along the beginning of the end. Turn to Matthew, if you will. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. The beginning of the hope-filled conclusion to sin's destruction and its devastating consequences is the birth of Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of the end. If you're in Matthew chapter 1, join with me in verse 21. We're going to simply scan uh, the end of chapter 1 and then portions of chapter 2. Beginning in verse 21. He will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Now notice, notice what he is on mission to do. You will call his name Jesus, for the purpose for his name being Jesus is he will save his people. From their this is the beginning of the end. Notice verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? It means God with us. And just as what we sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And when he was born, he called his name. Again, you know that the reading of Matthew's Gospel, if you work through from beginning to end through Matthew's Gospel, and you thought, what is the theme of Matthew's Gospel? You'll notice its fulfillment. Everywhere throughout the text is the issue of studying the life of Christ in light of its fulfillment. Again, the beginning of the end is now. The king is born. He is here to fulfill all the promises. Notice how it continues with that sense of fulfillment. Now that Jesus is on mission to save his people from their sins, notice chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and you know this by Christmas story, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born? You're moving from Jesus as God with us, as appointment of God's kingdom. This is the beginning of the end. A new king has arrived. Notice in verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Again, with Matthew's theme of fulfillment. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Why? For from you shall come... Again, if you consider this text, moving forward, and you look at verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child marrying his mother, and they fell down, and what was their reflex when they saw the birth of Christ? Of course, by this time, uh, Jesus was a bit of a toddler. The scenery at Christmas time tends to have the chronology of being set up. It took them a couple years from the point of seeing the sign and then making the journey across. Uh, it was Give you the theme that stands out to you today as Matthew's writing. Help us understand the birth and life of Christ Jesus then said to himself in verse 17 of chapter 5 in order that we also might understand why he came. Do not think that I have come, that is, back to the birth narrative. Here I am, I am Jesus, I'm here to save my people from their sins. I am a ruler come from Judah. So if you receive it, do not then think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a Yoda, nor a dot, will pass from the law. 
until how much? Until all is accomplished. If you go back to the text then and you notice the sense of worship from the Magi in the life of our Lord as the beginning of the end of sin, the beginning of the end of its devastating consequences for mankind, is the birth of Jesus Christ, God-appointed King. Notice the fulfillment and royalty that we see in the text with the Magi, the gift of adoration that they brought to Jesus, the God man. Beginning in verse 11, once again, of chapter 2. And going into the house, they saw the child. There he is. Who knows, running about. They saw him with Mary. And again, they reflexively fell down and worshipped him. And then comes the gift of adoration to the one who is worthy of worship. God's appointed king. He who will do what? Save his people from their sins. They bring their treasures. They offer him gifts. And again, we recite this at each uh, Advent or, or, or uh, Christmas service. These items, we consider them in song, and we share them in readings aloud. But consider them afresh, once again, as a marking in redemptive history, the beginning, birth of the ending, the conclusion to sin and its consequences. They offered him gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Perhaps you've looked into these uh, and what these gifts symbolize and represent. Now, the question is, uh, do the Magi exactly know uh, what these gifts are representing? Are they presenting them as valuable to an anointed king? Uh, as we understand them in the biblical text, we clearly can grasp what the symbolism of each is. Gold, representing his royalty and his messianic reign. To his back in the Old Testament text, particularly you can consider it whether in Exodus or Leviticus, Exodus 30, you see that in the place of temple there is fragrant offering or incense that is burned. Frankincense is indeed a fragrance that is here also to be burned, representing what? His deity. that was used for embalming. Representing our Lord's death. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As one author notes, he says, quote, the Magi's visit proves Jesus is Israel's legitimate. Stage one, brothers and sisters, 
And moving from our Lord as the newborn king, with that in mind, a king also brings with him a kingdom. Notice the advancement of our Lord's kingdom throughout the course of his ministry by considering the power of his kingdom being manifest. Turn with me to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, if you will. We'll spend a couple minutes here in the text as we conclude. Moment. We have a born, newborn king, and we're watching the expanse of his kingdom. Notice the power on display. There are many texts we could go through. I, I'm simply taking uh, Matthew 12 here as a great example, but there are tons of texts we can go through throughout the gospel concerning the kingdom of Christ. my servant whom I have chosen. Again, this speaking of God to Jesus, the, the Son, in whom he is well pleased. My beloved with whom I soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering whip he will not Brought to him, and he healed him. 
So the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Again, the identity of the king. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Again, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. So he says to them, And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom And if I cast out demons by the elder, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he I have a list, a short list from this text that we can draw your attention to to manifest of Christ's kingdom. Just from this text alone, the first is you'll notice the healing power to those who are suffering. Verse 15, and then once again in verse 22. What is the power of the kingdom of Christ? It's that the newborn king would bring healing from to those who are suffering. The healing power to those who are suffering is a manifestation of the kingdom. Notice also in verse 18, there's a proclamation of his justice. Once again, accompanying the proclamation of hope in verse 21. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will do what? He will bring justice. He will The bruised reed he will not break, the swollen lips he will not quench, until he brings justice to the people. Also notice the king in his kingdom manifest in verse 29. You notice in his ministry as the king over his kingdom and manifest the binds to satanic power, verse 29. Again, you notice, or how can someone enter a strong man's house? This, once again, is a picture of Satan and Christ's binding ministry. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first does what? Then once the man has found what does the individual proceed to do, he plunders the bounds of his home. Verse 29, as we see earlier in the two kingdoms discussed, is the satanic power unleashed in the world. Christ in his power is here to bind the strong man and plunder his home. Have you asked yourself if you look at that text and say, okay, so Satan is being bound by the power of Christ's kingdom. 
And then, somehow, once he is found, Christ is plundering his house. Have you asked yourself, how is Satan bound? And how then does his house get easily plundered? The way in which Satan is bound by the power of Christ and his home is plundered is by the proclamation. language of Satan indeed being bound, and then the strong man plundering his house in the proclamation of the gospel, Acts 26, 18. I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may Visible evidence 
kingdom advancement and Satan retreating. As we witness, demons are dismissed, sicknesses are healed, and disordered nature itself
Again, we may confess that, we may sing that, but very likely not that. It means He reigns, and that He will reign forever. Also, what follows is that all who believe will reign with Him. Likewise, his enemies, and this is a hard truth, but indeed it is absolute, his enemies who reject his rule will be cast into the same place. If you have not come to Christ in faith, You're unsure that your faith terminates on him solely as the source of all righteousness and forgiveness, renewal, joy, peace, deliverance. May it apply your conscience very heavily to this understanding of this. Do you belong to Christ? And if you do, renew your joy in this new moment. This pray that you will help us to grasp the biblical timeline at the beginning of the end. That will grasp what it means to be your people in an age that is passing away. That will, with meaning, own the eminency of the New Testament. That we, the people of God, live right now like those before us. We live in the 21st century. We live in the last days. Help us to clarify this over the course of our last few weeks. We look back to you. Let us clarify and conclude this sense of Indeed, we are a people, a pilgrim on the way, as we live out our time.